God is our refuge and strength, very present help in trouble. We will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the sea. That's a, you know, we think we've got troubles. You know, God doesn't fail, even though the mountains collapse. Um, you know, <clears throat> the psalmist is trying to paint the biggest possible disaster he can, in order to say that God's still on the throne. So it doesn't matter whether the mountains collapse or the seas, they go into the sea. It's irrelevant. Is God still on the throne? Amen. And uh, when we get that in perspective, we recognise that whatever we go through, God's still on the throne. One of the, uh, the churches that I'm linking more now in, and the church we're at in, in Orpington and around that neck of the woods, <coughs> the guy who leads it rang me up the other day and said, could you do a message on healing and prayer? And I said, yeah, I can do that sometime next month, I think it is. <coughs> I'm going to do it around the churches there. Um, because in the church at the moment in Orpington, we must, we've got about five or six people who, are, who have been diagnosed with terminal cancer. In fact, one of them died last week, and he, he only knew about it three weeks before that. And you think, what's going on? And then we've got some friends in Braintree, the church that I planted up there. Guy, really fit, builder. And uh, he got a funny tummy pain, so he went to the doctors. He sent to the hospital. At the end of the day, he was told he'd only got two months to live. So we, we went up there and saw him. But he's in a really good place. You know, he opened the door and he looked really good. I said to him, Matt, you're a fraud. <laughs> you know, he looks really well. And he said to me, do you know what, I'm ready. If God's going to take me, I'm ready. And he says, he's an evangelist, so you'll get the next bit. He said, if... More of my friends come to the Lord because as a miracle, I'll live. If more of my friends come to the Lord because I die well, I'll die. All he's worried about is seeing more of his friends born again. It doesn't matter where he lives or dies, he's not bothered. And it truly is the case, he is not bothered. He says, I'm totally at peace. If this is God's time, I'm ready to go. Even though the mountains fall into the sea, God's still on the throne. And then it goes on to say, there is a river, which is what we sang about and what was brought earlier. There is a river. And what does it do? It brings God's refreshing presence, God's healing, God's deliverance through our circumstances all the time. It just cleanses us, washes us, and it's a symbol of God's presence coming into the whole of our environment and giving us not necessarily always healing, although we want to see more of that, don't we? But his peace, his joy, his love, so that when people look at us, they can say, how is it? You know, you're in a terrible condition, situation. Great, how are you coping? Well, God is in his heaven, and there is a river. Amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. That wasn't what I was going to speak about this morning. In fact, as a reality, the reality is, I like having all my notes in place, and what I'm going to say, do you know what happened this morning? Because I couldn't get Every time I tried to prepare for it, God stopped me, one way or another. So, long story, but it's been like that all week. The only word that's been in my mind all week is that one, freedom. It just kept coming to me, freedom, freedom, freedom. And I, I believe what God wants to do this morning, he wants to minister freedom. Amen. And he wants us to move into the freedom that's been obtained for us through Christ. Because sometimes the reality is we know the Bible says we're free. 
but we don't live free. Amen. And sometimes because of our history, some of the past has kind of followed us, attached itself to us, and we can't shake it off. We can't be free of it. It's coming with us. We're pulling it with us. All sorts of things. We'll get to that in a minute. So I want to read a scripture. That's the only thing I could find when I was looking for it earlier uh, in the week. (laughs) And it's Romans 8. And I'm going to read the first 17 verses. Now what I'm going to do before I do it, I want to pray because I believe that the Word of God is living and active. You know, the, the words on the page are just words on the page. But when you read it or you speak it, it becomes alive by the Spirit. Yeah. So that parts of it sometimes can just speak into our spirits and into our hearts. And I want that to happen this morning. I want that we pray and ask the Spirit. And I want you all individually to say, Spirit of God, as this scripture is read, speak it into me. Mm-hmm. Let the truth of it get into my very being. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you. You have given us your word. Your word is not just a book, it's living and active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, it pierces into the very heart of us, and it brings us into your presence and reveals your truth to us. And we just pray with us, we read this passage of scripture, let your spirit speak it into our hearts, Lord, let you just, whatever you want to say to each individual here, do it now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Romans 8, Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Then I'll skip down to verse 12. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again Rather, the spirit you received brought you about, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if you are children, then you are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may share in his glory. Amen. Amen. You know, sometimes you have to read uh, Paul's words a few times to kind of get it. Because it's quite complicated sometimes. And you have to think, oh, what did he just say? I need to read that again. And again. And my suggestion is, if you are reading it, just keep reading it until you get it. Because it's not that difficult. It's just the way it's written. And basically, uh, what he's saying is, if we're in Christ, we're not condemned anymore. Amen. And this morning, in a sense, what I want to talk about is there's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, and there's the kingdom of this world, or the kingdom of darkness, or the kingdom of Satan, whatever you want to call it. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. 
and they're in conflict. And Paul himself says they're in conflict with one another. And we live in the kingdom of darkness, but we are part of the kingdom of life, the kingdom of God. Because if we're in Christ, we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, sometimes it's called in the scriptures, or the kingdom of God. We live under his rule, not under the rule of the enemy. But we get caught in being ruled by the kingdom of this world, don't we sometimes? Because we live in it, and it rubs off on us all the time. And you were discipled by the kingdom of this world. Do you know that? As you grew up, you were born into the kingdom of this world. You were without God, without hope. You didn't know him. had no connection with him, apart from that you were created by him. And there's a leftover image of God in you. But you were born in sin. And then you were discipled by this life, by this world, into the kind of person you are right now, or you were, before you became a Christian. So all the rules of this world rubbed off on you. And that's how you were discipled. And so it's like you think kingdom of this world, not kingdom of God. So what happens when we become a Christian? We receive Christ and he breaks the hold of the kingdom of God. He transfers us into the kingdom of light. But we've still got the same mind. Amen. And so what happens is that the Bible says we have to begin to renew our minds. We have to change our thinking. Our thinking was wrong. And it's a, I tell you what, it's a lifetime process. Don't you notice that? You know, I mean, I've been a Christian since I was 10. I'm 71. That's a long time. And I'm still working at it. So, don't give up hope. <laughs> It's a process that I have to constant. Sometimes I have to remind myself not to behave in the way I was schooled by the world, because although I've changed, sometimes it, when something happens, you can revert. I tell you a story. I met a guy once who was a, a soldier for twenty years. He was in the army, and he he, he left uh, when he'd done his time, and. He, got on with life and he'd been um, out of the army for about five years and he, he was working and was going back to the area where he was stationed so he thought oh, I'll call in see if any of the old guys are still around so he got out of the car and he was walking across the parade ground and suddenly I can't remember say his name was Smith he was walking across the parade ground and suddenly this voice called out Smith and he went yes sir it was the sergeant major, same one that he had five years ago. And then he thought, what am I doing? I'm not in the army anymore. He can't tell me what to do. He can't, you know, I could stick my fingers up at him if I wanted to. There's nothing he could do about it. Because I'm not in the army. I'm not under military law. I'm under civilian law now. You know, sometimes Satan does that to us. We've become a Christian. We've been a Christian for a while. And then we get into a situation and Satan calls out, Potter! What am I doing? I don't have to listen to you anymore. Go away. But it's an old voice, a familiar voice, and we can respond to it. We're not living in the freedom that Christ has obtained for us. And you have to know this. He has obtained complete freedom, not partial freedom, total freedom. Now, we won't live in the total good of it all until Jesus comes again. And we're with him in glory. And the Bible says then we will, be, we will be like him as he is. That's an extraordinary concept, isn't it? That we will be perfect like he is perfect. 
Because he made it possible for that to happen by going to the cross for us. He took our punishment. Sin has no more reigning over us, no more ruling over us. So does that mean, folks, if you do not sin anymore, please put your hand up. Well, I'm glad to see that nobody did, because I have no idea. I'd have probably got you actually, but you better come and preach. So. Well, I'll sit down and listen. Wait, well, you do sit. Paul himself, you know, we said earlier, Paul himself said, I struggle because of the things I know I should do, I don't. And the things I shouldn't do, I think, oh, wretched man that I am. But they didn't stop there, but thanks be to God. <laughs> He's changed me. He's set me free. I'm not under condemnation. That is a very important concept because Satan, the one thing he wants to do to us to keep us in bondage is to keep us under condemnation, where we're condemned all the time. We feel <coughs> condemned. And Satan will remind you of your past and he will bring it up and he will tell you you're not doing the things you should be doing. You're not living the way you should be living. There you go, you see, you've done it again. And you've done it again. And you, you can answer him clearly and say, but I'm sorry. I know I've failed. You don't need to tell me that. But actually, I'm not under condemnation. You can't do that because I've been set free from that. That's Freedom means total. That's Freedom from con- you are not condemned. And uh, if I have to say that fifty times this morning, get nothing else from it. You are not condemned. If you want to condemn yourself, well, that's your silly fault. <laughs> but you're not, because God says you're not. If you are in Christ, you are no longer under condemnation. The kingdom of God is, a, is an upside-down kingdom. You know, down is up and up is down. It doesn't work like the kingdom of this world. So if I humble myself, I will be exalted. In the world, if you exalt yourself, you get somewhere. But you don't in the kingdom. If you humble yourself, you will be exalted. It's an upside-down kingdom. It doesn't, the rules of this world do not apply Amen. to the kingdom of God. We have to constantly remind ourselves of that. That's right. That I don't live like they live, I live in a totally different way. So, to get by in the life, you have to tread on a few people to climb the ladder. You have to uh, lie a bit, you know. When you, when you write your uh, CV, you have to kind of exaggerate and put a few things in. And, well, that's the kingdom of this world. We, we don't do that. We trust God. Yeah. I remember when I uh, went to find a job after I was a London City missionary for 10 years, I had to leave the mission we didn't have anywhere to live and I hadn't got a job and I hadn't been in industry for 10 years so I was way out of it and I knew that we needed a house and someone said to me, well go to the building society and uh, tell them you've got a job and how much you're earning and they want proof of that so you can do that I said, but I haven't uh, I've got the offer of a job if after 6 months I passed the probation period. But up till then, I really haven't got a job. Well, don't tell them that. So this is the kingdom of this world speaking. So, And it's tempting. You think, yeah, it's a good idea, actually. Because uh, I don't want to jeopardise my future. And there were little things like that. So I went to the building society, and the guy said to me, so uh, what are you doing for a job? So I said, well, I'm on probation in a job. So I've got no... I can't tell you that for six months. At the end of six months, this is possibly what I'll be earning, uh, but I might not be earning anything because I might not have a job. They might not like me. 
And the interesting thing is, it was like I wasn't talking to him. He said, oh, I'm sure that's fine. <laughs> and I thought, this is not how the kingdom of this world operates. See, when God's in charge and we live in the kingdom of this kingdom of God and we behave as we're in the kingdom of God, God does not let us down. Amen. Amen. So at the end of it, he said to me, are you saving with us? Now, that was a big question. Because we were and we weren't. In other words, I had a savings account with them. But because of all that was going on, I emptied it. (laughs) And there was some money in there. I think about one pound fifty. <laughs> <laughs> it was two pounds, was it? Three. Three. All right. Well, Eunice knows. She can remember. <laughs> Such a long time ago. Anyway, there you go. Three pounds. Still not a lot, is it? Really? <laughs> it's double what I said, though. Um, and he just said to me, "Are you saving with us?" And I said, "Yes." He said, "Oh, that's fine." Didn't ask how much he got. Mind you, he could have checked if he wanted to, couldn't he? But he didn't. And uh, he said, "I think we can give you the mortgage." So he gave us the mortgage, and he said. Will you need any more? So I said, well, no, that's, that's just all I need. He said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, I will add another 10,000 and it be there if you need it. I said, oh, that's kind of you. Thank you very much. <laughs> See, the, the kingdom of God overrules the kingdom of this world. That's the other thing we need to know. And uh, I, I always remember that part in Star Wars. Now, I know it's not biblical, but... Close. So... <laughs> where they're, they're coming into wherever it is, this place, the planet, something or other. And uh, I can't even remember the, the actor's name. Anyway, he's the, he's the Obi-Wan Kenobi. And he says to the guard, you don't need to see our identity cards. He says, no, I don't need to see your identity cards. You just want us to move on. Yeah, just move on. And you think, that's interesting. You just sort of use the force. <laughs> You see, we, we don't have a force in the same way, do we? We do have God, the ultimate force. He's the king of kings. He's on the throne. And he can make things happen. And if you go through the Old Testament, you find it happened all the time. You know, there were heathen kings giving uh, money and goods to the people of God to go and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. You know, they just decided, oh, they're not giving all the money. So what we need to know is that the kingdom of God overrules the kingdom of this world. And although it doesn't look like it when you look out there right now, we need to know it is true. That's taking hold of the truth and making it ours. That is freedom. That is freedom. When I can see all sorts of tragedy going on and saying, but I'm free because I believe the truth. The truth is God's in charge. That's freedom. That's ultimate freedom. To be able to say, when things are going wrong, when difficulties are arising, when you look out there and you don't understand what's going on, God's in charge. Amen. And that's the basic freedom that we need, because that, if we can say that about all that, then we can say about what happens to me in my life. I'm free. So when you sin because you fail in the flesh, you know you've got absolute certainty that you can be forgiven and walk away from that moment. We can always walk away, because we're free. If we don't walk away, it's our choice. We've been trapped into believing the lie of the enemy. We have chosen, but we don't have to do it. We can walk away, because we're free. So the kingdom of this world, ultimately, is represented by death 
and bondage. That's what it's about. It's all to do with death and bondage. Satan wants to keep you locked up, away from God, and ultimately to get rid of you. He's, he's the prince of death. He doesn't like life. The kingdom of God, on the other hand, is all about life and freedom. The kingdom of this world is about law. The kingdom of God is about free grace. And there's a good example of that, isn't there, in the New Testament. Law said about a woman who was caught committing adultery, stone her. That's what the law said. So they thought, well, we'll catch Jesus out with this one. This is a good one. So they call him over. And uh, it's true. Uh, there's no doubt she was caught in adultery. And the law says, throw stones at her to kill her. So what did Jesus do? Well, he just turned to the crowd and said, so, which one of you hasn't got any sin? You pick up a stone and you start the execution. And they all kind of looked away, looked away and gradually sort of you know, distance themselves until they were far enough away and then off they went. Because they knew there wasn't anyone there who was without sin. Which indicates that the only person that can really judge you is God. No one else can, because we're all, we've all got sin in our lives. We have sin, we do sin. We will until we get to glory. We can't point the finger at anybody. Only God can. And so off they all went. So Jesus looked at the woman and said, so where are the ones that just accused you? He said, there are none, Lord. He says, well, I don't condemn you either. Just don't do it again. Now that's freedom. Isn't that freedom? Isn't that wonderful? Amen. You think, but that can't be right. She, you know, she broke the law. She deserved the punishment due to her. Well, probably, yes. But Jesus forgave and didn't condemn her because he died to take the punishment for the sin that we deserve to die for. We all deserve to die. We all deserve to be punished. Jesus took the death penalty for us. That is freedom. That we know we are not condemned. That we know he took the punishment that we deserved. We're not going to be punished when we die. We're going to enter into the new life in the presence of Jesus. Hallelujah. That's the truth. That's our place of freedom. Colossians 1. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God's Word translation of James 1 says, However, the person who continues to study God's Word that makes people free and who remains committed to that truth will be blessed. People like that don't merely listen and forget. They actually do what God tells them to do. So although we are free, we have to walk into our freedom. We have to live in our freedom. We have to 
understand what the will of the Lord is, it says in the scriptures, and do it. So we have to get hold of the truth of God's word, put it into us, so that when we are tempted, we've got a well of truth in us to draw out of, to make a judgment about whether this is right or wrong. Amen. And we all have, the Bible tells us. Now this is extraordinary, and it, it takes some getting hold of, but it says in the scriptures, we have the mind of Christ. And now you, you're going to think, what? How can I? Well, you have, because he has put his spirit in you. Therefore, you have the mind of Christ. So you can make a judgment based on that truth. But how do you know what it is? Well, by the spirit, the word of God, and, the prof- the, and prophecy. It all comes, and we make a judgment based on those things as to whether we should do this or not. I remember many years ago, I joined the London City Mission, and uh, I got the application forms, and I filled them in, and there was one question I couldn't answer truthfully. And it said, are you a non-smoker? And I smoked. I couldn't write yes there. And I immediately got depressed, because I thought, I've blown it. I've blown it by my stupidity. I have blown it. I now cannot join the London Submission, which I believe was God's will for me. And I went to bed that night. Eunice probably remembers that too. She remembers the past very well. And too well sometimes. Anyway, (laughs) And I went to sleep eventually, because I was worrying about it. And I got woken up in the middle of the night, and a voice said to me, it was clearly God's voice, and he said, go and put yes. And I thought, I've got to make a judgment here based on truth, the word of God, and the Bible says don't lie, I can't. I can't do it. So I didn't. I went back to sleep. A little while later, woke up again. Same voice, going, right, yes. Now this happened three times. It seems to be quite biblical, actually. (laughs) Samuel got woke up three times. In the end, I gave in. And I thought, oh, blow it. So I just literally ran down the stairs to the lounge and picked up the pen, Yes, and went back to bed, went to sleep. When I woke up in the morning, I was completely set free. I didn't need a cigarette. Wow. Amen. Gone. Now that was making a decision, a discerning decision. Mm. You know, I, I can't do that because it's lying. But God's saying, do it, therefore I'll obey God. Because it wasn't lying, because I didn't. <laughs> the next day, gone. And if nothing else, that confirmed what I was doing was right. Yeah. You might guess that was true. So it's, it's learning to listen to the voice of God. Amen. Make a judgment based on the word of God. And often, of course, God's given us leaders who are wise people. In order that they can help us sometimes when we get into a place where we really don't know. What do we do? What do we do? I don't know what to do. And sometimes it's, it's a decision based... Because you can't go to the Word of God and find an answer for it. Like a, a guy I knew many years ago who wanted, he came to me one day and he said, I don't know what to do with my life. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I'm doing my A-levels and I, I want to go to university, but I'm not sure what God wants me to do. So I said, what do you want to do? He said, oh, I'd like to be a doctor. That's what I'd really like to do. So I said, okay, second question. What's the most important thing in your life? What's the most important thing? He said, I want to do what God wants me to do. 
I said, right, go and be a doctor then. So I said, but suppose it's not God's will. I said, listen, if you've just said the most important thing in your life is do what God wants you to do, and you'll want to be a doctor, don't you think the two come together? Don't you think that if you've got it there, it's what God's given you, that ability, that therefore that's what God wants you to do? And listen, if he doesn't, because the most important thing in your life is to do what God wants, don't you think he'll make it clear to you that he doesn't want you to do it? So he did. He went off to uh, be a doctor. He's actually now a consultant. And he's been a consultant for quite a few years, because that was a long time ago. And he's, he actually works up in, the, in the Soho in a sexual diseases uh, clinic, uh, working mainly amongst AIDS patients, because he felt that's where God wants him to be. He's doing a great job. You think that, you know, but we sometimes... That isn't in the Bible. Thou shalt go and be a doctor. You know, it's, it's not there. But we have the mind of Christ, and we have other people who help us not to tell us what to do, because leaders don't tell you what to do. They just bring direction and ask you a few questions to bring clarity for you. Uh, and, or point you to the Word of God if that's necessary. What, is, what does the Bible say? Well, actually, it doesn't tell me about that. Oh, okay, then. Well, in that case. And Paul the Apostle, on one occasion, he said, I'm saying this. God says this, but I'm saying this. In other words, he knew what God said, but now he's giving his opinion, he's giving his direction. That doesn't mean that that wasn't God, but he's not claiming it is. He's not sure, he's just bringing his wisdom. Well, it's in the Bible, so clearly it was God. So I hope you're getting the drift of this, that, that actual walking into our freedom means learning to know what the Bible says. It means applying that truth to our lives, claiming it and walking into it. It's not automatic. Amen. And that's why Satan will do everything he can to stop you doing it. In Hebrews it says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. So in our hearts, what's that saying? I'll put their laws in my hearts. What's that about? Well, what that's about is a desire to do what God wants. That the heart is a desire to do what God wants. If he's put his law in your heart, it means you've got a desire to do what God wants. That's your overriding factor. David sinned in the Bible. If there's a David here, it's not that David. Oh, unless God's speaking. But (laughs) He had a desire in his heart to serve the kingdom of God, but he sinned. Later on, God says of David, he's a man after my own heart. You think, wow, that's extraordinary. Because his heart was for God. He was weak in his flesh at that moment in time, but his heart was for God. And the most important thing for us is our heart. I will put my laws in your heart. Mind? I will put their laws in your mind. What's that about? Well, it's about your thinking. It's about your decision-making. It's about your emotions. That not, it's not just in my heart. I've, I've brought it into my heart, and actually it's in my thinking. It's in my desires. It's in my decision-making. So I've got God's law there. So, and as I said earlier, you know, the Bible also says we have the mind of Christ. In John, chapter 8, when Jesus was speaking 
The Jews, to the Jews, I won't go into the details, but he says this, to the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So he says, if you hold to my teachings, you will know the truth. Because it's from the word of God that we learn the truth. And that truth, if you walk in it, will set you free. It's not knowing about the truth. So the interesting thing about that word, know, you will know the truth. It isn't an intellectual knowledge of the truth. There are a lot of people who have got that, and most of us in this room have got a measure of intellectual knowledge about the truth. You know, you can quote Bible verses, and that's fine. That's good. But knowing the truth is... The word knowing in the Bible is used for a husband and wife knowing one another. It says, you know, Adam knew his wife. Well, good job he did. Really, isn't it? He knew, she knew. But it doesn't mean knew in the sense of, oh, I know you, I've met you before. It means... The intimacy of marriage, knowing his wife. There was an intimacy of relationship between Adam and Eve and all the others. And out of that was produced children. Out of it came offspring. So when it says you will know the truth, that's what it's talking about. It's not talking about just a intellectual knowledge. It's talking about intimate knowledge of truth. So that out of your knowledge of truth, offspring come. You know, as fruit comes. You will bear fruit because you know the truth. The truth is in you, it's become part of you, and you live in the good of it, it produces fruit. And the Bible talks about the fruits of righteousness, which is really saying it's it's God's right way of living Amen. that comes out of knowing Amen. the truth. Amen. But of course we do have an enemy. And we've talked about him already. And he wants to condemn us and lead us astray. Now, let me read this. It is the truth of grace and not of law that brings you true freedom. The truth of the law only binds you. In fact, religious bondage is one of the most crippling bondages with which a person can be encumbered. Religious bondage keeps one in constant fear, guilt and anxiety. What's that talking about? Well, it's, it's, it's talking about religion. Yeah. And there's a lot of that about. Yes. And it does keep you in bondage. You have to obey the rules. Mm. You're not allowed to do this. You're in fear all the time in case you upset God and he mm. brings a thunderbolt down. And all religions live like that. Including the Christian one. Mm. I grew up in a really good church. But it was very legalistic. That's right. You know, like if, if I was caught doing this, I was caught doing, I was seen doing that. Oh, great! I feel guilty. Oh, terrible! I was in bondage to religious practices, and then I got baptized in the Spirit and totally set free from that because I don't live by rules. I live by grace. That doesn't mean I don't keep some rules because rules are important. It's how I keep them. That's right. I don't keep them because I have to. I keep them because it's written in my heart and I want to. Totally different approach. Totally different. So the kingdom of God is a matter of I really want to please God. 
And if God doesn't like that, I won't do it. Or I'll seek not to do it. Or I'll, yeah. I'll begin to move away from that. I'll get the word of God into me. I'll get prayed for. I'll get prophesied over. I don't care how I get it, but I want to get free. Because I want to please God. But I don't go around with my head bowed down, oh, I didn't do that again today. I'm, gonna, I'm under condemnation. God's going to write me off. No, because that's a lie. It's not true. That's how great God is. There's a story, and I want to finish with this, because I just believe that God wants to really meet with people this morning and bring freedom, liberty, into your life. It may well be that some of the scriptures that have been quoted this morning, some of you may start to have scriptures come to mind, and it may well be for somebody who needs to hear that truth this morning, so be open to that. I want to read... uh, Actually, I'm not going to read it, I'm going to... Quote this. I had a picture many years ago, and I've often used it because it's such a, an important one, that often things from our history, things from our past that keep us in bondage are things that have happened to us. Abuse. Uh, rejection. Words spoken over us. Relationship with teachers at school that told us we never achieved much. You know, you're useless, you might as well lose. That's what I was told. You know, called to the head's office. He said, I don't know what you're doing here. You're no good to us. We're no good to you. I think you ought to leave. Oh, thank you very much. Which I did. Thank goodness for that. (laughs) (laughs) But they were things spoken over you. And you live with that then. Because it's a rejection. You now say, I am useless. Because my teacher told me so. And he's a teacher. He knows. And it's like we can grip that tightly in our hand and we hold on to it. Can't get free from it. We've got it in our hand and we walk around with it. There it is. You know, we don't literally do it. You know what I'm saying. It's there. We've got hold of it. Or has it been our spirit really got hold of it? And then God comes along and he says, I want to give you freedom, liberty. I want to bring healing to your mind, all that stuff, however it comes. And so you stand in the meeting and he says, put your hands up to receive from God. But you've got yours clenched tight from that history. You can't receive from God, but your hands are full. How are you going to receive from God? Well, you won't. What you've got to do is let go of it. You've got to release it. Let it go. Now, freedom has come. It wasn't, you weren't free. You were holding on to things from the past. Mm. Now you're free. Now you can receive from God. Mm. And I think there's some this morning here, well, why aren't I receiving from God? Well, probably because you're holding on to something. You can't. You know, you've got to release it. That's freedom. That's right. In all of that, you can receive a blessing from God. Let me read this. I found this uh, last night. Once I held in my tightly clenched fist ashes. Ashes from burns that flickered upon my ten-year-old body. Ashes I didn't ask for. Scars that were forced on me. And for 17 years the fire smouldered. I kept my fist closed in secret, hating those ashes, yet unwilling to release them. Not sure if I should, not convinced that it was worth it. 
marring the things that I touched and leaving black marks everywhere, or so it seemed. I tried to undo it all, but the ashes were always there to remind me that I couldn't. I really could not, but God could. His sweet Holy Spirit spoke to my heart one night in tearful depression, I whispered. I want to give you beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning, a garment of praise for your spirit of heaviness. I'd never heard of such a deal as this, beauty for ashes, my sadly stained memory for the healing in his word, my soot-like dreams for his songs in the night, my helpless and hurting emotions for his ever-constant peace. How could it be? I'd been so stubborn, I'd refused an offer like this. So willingly, yet in slow motion and sobbing, I opened my bent fingers and let the ashes drop to the ground. In silence, I heard the wind blow them away, away from me forever. I am now able to place my open hands gently around the fist of another hurting soul and say this in confidence, let them go. There really is beauty beyond your comprehension. Amen. Let's stand Amen. together. Shall we stand? Amen.